The model business is estimated to have close to $4 trillion under management, but it's complicated to untangle as there are different types. From advisors building their own custom portfolios to those outsourcing to third-party managed models. And research suggests that advisors are increasingly adopting models as part of their business plan. Why is this important? As mutual fund distributors introduce their solutions to advisors, it's important that they can distinguish who is influenceable from who is not. An advisor who leverages third-party models is likely to be in the latter category. Welcome to The Point. I'm your host, Matt Schiffman, Principal with Distribution Insight. Today, we're going to focus our attention on influenceability. Specifically, we'll discuss how data is factored into a scoring system employed by asset managers for the purpose of segmenting financial advisors into degrees of influenceability. And here to discuss it with me is my guest, Tim Kressel. Hello, Tim, and thanks for joining me today. Tim Kressel is a principal of the Distribution Insight team within Broadridge Financial Solutions. Prior to joining Broadridge, Tim co-founded a company called Atom Analytics with the goal of helping asset managers use their existing data more effectively and systematically to drive distribution effectiveness. Atom Analytics became part of Broadridge in July of 2018. Today, Tim and the team are on the same mission, but now backed by Broadridge's unmatched data set. Previously, Tim was a principal with Market Metrics. Tim, what was the inspiration for founding Adam Analytics? Well, Matt, thanks again for having me this morning. I'm really looking forward to our conversation, as always. So looking back on the inspiration for founding Adam Analytics, I was working with the asset management community, helping them to create more data-driven distribution strategies using the data and research that I was providing with my previous employer. And what I was finding is the problems or the challenges that asset managers and asset management distribution organizations specifically were facing were changing quite dramatically. We'd gone from a world where we had a dearth of available data on advisors and advisor practices to a world where all of a sudden we had an abundance of information. The problem is that information was being provided by multiple different vendors. It was in different formats. In many cases, different parts of organizations were buying different data sets, and they never came together. And so instead of having a lack of available data, asset managers weren't getting the value that they wanted to get relative to the increasing amounts of money that they were spending on data and information. And so I thought there needs to be a better way to help asset managers to get more out of what they already have, as opposed to needing new data sets to be able to solve every individual problem. Three of us ended up coming together and found that we believed the best solution to be able to help overcome this issue was by A, helping firms understand what they had internally. So helping them bring more life to the data they already had, and then creating better centrally defined advisor segmentation strategies 
scoring strategies, and ultimately wrapping customer journey maps around that so that they could get the most out of all the data that they had in their existing ecosystem and recognize any gaps that they may have in that data strategy to fill as time went on, which was going to help to get everybody on the same page from a distribution perspective, and then hopefully allow for more efficient targeting of advisors but also better tracking of their effectiveness, given the fact that everybody was working around one centrally defined segmentation and journey mapping strategy. So let me ask you, you've been doing this for over a decade. What are some of the critical issues distribution teams face today? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And you know, going back to uh, my previous point, I, I think part of the challenge is the fact that organizations have access to more information than they ever have before. And that creates a number of unique challenges while solving others, including the challenge of having a single source of truth. To some extent, when you have access to multiple different data sets, multiple different data sources across multiple different vendors, you can really justify almost any strategy you'd like to using that information. And so aligning your organization around the right data to answer the right questions and putting an analytics strategy around that is critical. And the problem is they've become less effective to some degree as we've moved into a world that is both more complex. The advisor landscape has undoubtedly become more complicated than it was previously and more model-driven as well, which has taken out some of the financial decision-making from certain subsets of advisors' books or in some cases, entire advisor businesses where they're outsourcing that investment discretion to the home office to a TAMP, to you know, other third-party models, to asset managers in some cases. And so this has made things significantly harder for people out there in the field, for people on the desk, especially in a world where advisors are expecting more from each one of their partners than they have in the past. Now, obviously, this is all further complicated by, you know, by COVID and the current pandemic that we're in right now, which has added additional complexity. If we thought it was hard to get meetings before with financial advisors, with research analysts, et cetera, et cetera, that's even harder in the world that we live in today in many instances. So you've articulated the challenge. How does data help solve these issues? Yeah, that, that's a really good question, Matt. And I would say in and of itself, data in a vacuum doesn't necessarily solve any of these issues. As I'd mentioned before, data is a tool to be able to help solve these problems and enable teams to be able to solve these problems in the most effective way. Just having more data doesn't necessarily solve the problem in and of itself, and in some cases can actually complicate that problem further. Now, ultimately, though, if you've got both the data and the strategy to be able to use that data, then data can help inform segmentation as well as scoring of advisor prospects and current clients that hopefully helps improve the effectiveness and efficiency of your sales teams. If you have better data 
and an analytic strategy to be able to layer on top of that data around segmentation, then you can target the right people with the right message at the right time. So what data in particular is most informative in this mix? I would say the things that we use that tend to be most valuable across clients are things like, what is the value of a relationship to the asset manager that we're working with? So that can mean many different things. That's not just total size of assets, although it may encompass total size of assets. It's also about product fit. It's about practice growth. It's about you know how likely is this practice to be able to mesh with my way of doing business. Now, outside of just value, there's influence as well. And this is becoming more and more and more important as time goes on, especially as advisors outsource more of their investment discretion. And so when we talk about influence, it is as an asset manager, can I actually influence this buying unit, this advisor's investment decisions? Because if I can't influence their investment decisions, then that relationship should be less valuable to me. I should spend less time, or at least I should deck fewer of my highest value sales and distribution resources against that relationship, because it's going to either be harder to influence, or it's going to be impossible to influence that relationship. So you focus a great deal on this concept of influenceability. Let's go deeper on that. Tell us what what's embedded in that. Yeah, so we look at influenceability in a number of different ways. And again, I would say this gets tweaked around the fringes depending on the individual client strategy and product mix. But we tend to look at things like, you know, how effective has our organization been at calling on this individual or this buying unit in the past. So for example, when I've had previous sales interactions and meetings, have we seen a measurable sales lift from those meetings relative to other buying units, right? So are we actually seeing impact from the meetings that we've had? Now, that can be hard to measure in some cases because the sales cycle is long, the sales cycle is complicated, but it tends to be a good directional measure for buying units where we have previous sales interactions. Now, for those where we don't, we tend to look at a number of industry metrics to be able to get a sense of, do we expect this person to be more influenceable? Now, there's a number of different things that go into this, You know, certainly things like how concentrated are the assets in this advisor across different asset managers? You know, we look at things like their active passive split, assuming that's relevant. We look at things like the number of new products that are being added. And then we look at model use as well that all go into that influenceability calculation. So why and how do you include Broadridge's model data into your influenceability algorithm? So when we look at influenceability, as I'd mentioned previously, one of the keys here is, does this advisor, does this buying unit 
actually have the ability to move assets based on the conversation that we have, right? Do they have investment discretion? And so when we're looking at investment discretion, how an advisor uses models in their practice is extremely, extremely important. If they are outsourcing all of their investment discretion to the home office, to a third party, to an asset manager, to you know what have you, then all of a sudden that relationship or those assets are going to be less influenceable by me as a salesperson, as a marketer, at an asset manager. And so understanding the amount of assets in these models is extremely, extremely important in understanding how influenceable an advisor is. Now, we're lucky enough at this point to have really kind of the the holy grail of model data through Broadridge, where we're essentially looking down to the individual account level and we're looking at account similarities across different firms, within firms, within offices to be able to cluster together and identify them as model business versus non-model business. And there's lots of different types of models out there. There's certainly a lot of complexity around the topic. Not all model users are the same. Why not? Yeah, it's always good to clarify that the model piece, right? Because when we talk broadly about models, we're really hiding a lot under that, right? There's multiple different types of models. And so when we think about models, there's really kind of three types of models that we tend to view the world through. There are two types where the advisor is outsourcing investment discretion. So when we talk about you know, lower influenceability, what we're really talking about on the model side there are home office models. So these would be models where the, the home office has investment discretion and third-party models. Uh, third-party models are a combination of a number of different types of models, but it is where a third party has investment discretion. This would include TAMPs. This would include asset manager-provided models. This would include paper portfolios as well. So any type of model where you know it's not advisor-driven, it's not the home office, but it is some other third-party. There's also kind of these insourced models, which is more about, okay, I am an advisor. I am making my own models. So I still retain investment discretion, but I am using that same model across many of my clients. And so that provides me better scale within my business. Now, ultimately, we would want to look at that as influenceable business because it's still the advisor who retains investment discretion. And so we look at those two different types of models a little bit differently because of that. And what's great is we can identify both all or rather all three of those types of models very, very granularly down to a buying unit level. Tim, there's a lot of conversation around model use and adoption. What do you see out there? How do you anticipate model adoption? Is it rising? And what's the implication? Most of the survey work that we've done over the past year, and frankly, the model data that we track here at Broadridge, indicates that model use is likely going to become a more important part of advisors' business model and practices. 
Now, part of the reason that we anticipate that model use is going to increase over time is the fact that everybody's looking for more scale, right? Ultimately, everybody wants more for less. People want access to more customized solutions at a lower price point. They want new partnership models. And models are a great way to be able to accomplish that from an advisor perspective, whether they're advisor-driven, home office-driven, or third-party models. By having model portfolios that you can scale across many clients who have similar financial situations or models that you can easily augment to meet multiple different needs. And that's certainly one of the things that we've seen in our research. We did a survey of advisors a number of months ago at this point, distribution in a model-driven age that's available on our website, where we talk a little bit about advisor preferences in model use. What do you think is the most compelling financial services use case? So uh, I have to admit, I'm, I'm probably a little bit biased on this subject, just given what we do for a living and given the fact that I founded a company around this area specifically. But I have to believe that one of the most compelling financial services use case for data-driven distribution in general, but specifically this influenceability component, is advisor segmentation. And frankly, I don't know that this just applies to advisors. This is really a broader framework that can be used across financial services distribution, whether we're talking about the institutional space, whether we're talking about advisors, or whether we're talking about direct-to-consumer distribution as well. But actually delivering the right message to the right consumer at the right time in their journey through better segmentation and scoring, I believe is extremely compelling given some of the challenges that are facing us in the asset management industry today. So let's get to the point. Why is advisor influenceability a necessary intelligence for successful wholesaling? When we get right down to it, it's all about efficiency, right? Everybody is looking for or to get more for less in the new world that we live in. And one of the best ways to be able to do that is to be able to better target opportunities. And so if I know who is more or less influenceable by me or by my firm, then that allows me to be able to not only understand who I should be talking to, but it also allows me to better understand who I maybe shouldn't be talking to. Or put another way, where I should deck my high-value distribution resources against versus where I should use more scalable resources to be able to cover as well. And I think that's really the point, is by using influenceability in your segmentation and scoring strategies, it allows you to be able to increase your batting average. And even small increases in batting average result in large increases in efficiency. Yeah, and here's my two cents on that. Clearly, the COVID crisis has changed the game. And so with a more difficult environment to reach advisors and behind a Zoom wall, and we're not going to go back to where we were, at least not all the way, having the information to point you in the right direction to your 
a conversation and your explanation, Tim, to improve that batting average, you got a better chance of being in the wholesaling hall of fame if you know who to talk to and don't waste time with people that you really can't influence at all. Tim, thank you for joining me and thank you to those listening. Please join The Point next time when we'll talk with an asset manager to learn how this algorithm is being applied to improve advisor segmentation. Till then. Till then.